0: John 8, um, put your finger on verse 42, and that's where we'll start. Now, I want to just kind of walk through this, but there are some things I'm going to focus on. Um, little scenario here in John 8, where uh, beginning in verse 42, Jesus has going all the way back here for, for several chapters. Jesus is sort of battling with the Pharisees. There's this ongoing argument in which he states his points and they they attack him. And the attacks are brutal. Um, they will accuse him of being illegitimate in John chapter 8. And he will confront them with just the, the depth and beauty of his word. I want to take just a snippet in John 42. We'll focus on verse 47, but I want to give you some background. In John 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. So, first thing is once again, there are allegations flying back and forth. There's a false, there's a true. He is simply confronting them with the truth. He said, "I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me." So he is establishing himself as sent of God, as the God the Son sent by God for very distinct gospel driven purposes he came not of his own accord now they wouldn't come willingly but that God literally dispatched him the father in his authority has sent the son to die for the world but he says that before they said if God were your father you would love me so he's declaring these Pharisees to not be sons of God in the same way sons of God in creation yes but not sons of God in obedience not sons of God in being. Sons who are obedient to what God says. Then in verse 43 he says, Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. When I saw that as I was preparing this, I said to myself, There's the heart of what I'm trying to, to do tonight in both what we do and what we know is going to be, conf- going, going to be the, the tenor of the confrontation against the church. is that they just simply cannot bear the truth. We are surrounded by people not far away, but in the local area, who simply cannot bear the truth of God. They can't do it. They cannot bear to hear what is true. They can't They can't take it. And that is the nature of the lost. They are suppressors of the truth in their unrighteousness. They can't bear it. Verse 44, you are of your father the devil. He just says it directly, they belong to the devil. Those people around us that are lost and that our hearts break for and that we want to see the mercy of God extended to, do not be surprised when they lash out as, in as ugly and violent a fashion as possible because their father is the devil. They're not like us. Their heart isn't like your heart. And to to look at them and think that you can communicate with them in the same way you would with a brother, that you can share your heart, or that they can be guided by the scriptures the same way a brother brothers are—they're not. They are of their father, the devil. When you were lost, you were of your father, the devil. Now some of us live long enough in loss, in a state of lostness, to know that. To see that, to, to experience it. And many of us fled from the darkness to the light because we saw the grip that Satan had upon our lives. And we wanted to see that broken. Only God could break that. Only God could break it. Some of us in this room may have come to faith at such an early age. We just never really saw that manifested well enough. The hold that Satan had on our lives. He says this, he says... Um, And your will is through your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. So that you're under the influence of someone who is a murderer, who has always been a liar, and who is the father of lies. So all they hear are lies. So the depth of their delusion is so great It takes the supernatural effort of of the Holy Spirit to break that delusion. Reasoning with them in my power, Chris, or your power, is not of no good. We do it, but our reasoning does not change them. God acts to change their hearts because they are so surrounded by lies. They're so immersed in lies. They can no longer tell the difference between lies and the truth. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. We've, anyone who's, who shared the gospel in this room has experienced that event there. Where because it was true, they simply refused to believe what was true. They refused to believe it. Because they are so, it's so ingrained in them that truth are lies and lies are truth that they cannot see. Up is down, down is up. Light is dark, dark is light. They're completely confused and deluded by Satan. In verse 46, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Once again, he petitions them. If I am telling the truth and they, they can't refute him, he is truthful. His works demonstrate the truth. And yet they do not believe Him. Finally in verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. There's the dividing line. We hear the word of truth in this room today because we have been born again into a saving relationship with Christ Jesus. We have a salvific relationship born again. Your heart, your spirit, brand new. God did that. Regenerated so that you could now believe the Word of God. If He had not done it, you would have never believed. Remain just like these Pharisees. Just like that. The reason why the world doesn't hear is because they are not of God. Now, if we look at those conditions that I think that church that can combat in a world in which lies are accepted as truth and truth is dismissed, in a hard, in a hard spot, when you know you have the truth, and they believe that the opposite is really true, the world does. How do we do that? First, and I'm, the first one we talked about last week. I'm going to go back to it um, quickly, just to kind of catch us up. The first off, the church that is able to combat in that world is always going to be an engaging church. We're not a fleeing church. There is a strong movement within the church to simply flee the world, to pull in your family, and to pull in your friends, pull in your brothers and sisters, and just don't engage the world anymore. It's too dangerous. I think missions, the missional movement, ought to be our greatest um, evidence against that because we are still insistent upon engaging the world in the most dangerous places. I mentioned the 1040 window. I've been talking about the 1040 window for for 10 years now. That notion that there are places around the world that are so gross and unsanitary and stinky and terrible and dangerous that that's where we're drawn to go. Anybody will take the gospel beautiful, easy, safe places. Believers must really take the gospel to those places that nobody would ever go. Mike, it's hot there. And it's dangerous to travel. And there's disease. As I talk to my kids today, the worst kind of disease is bacteria. The things that people get and they stay sick for decades with them. We go there. Why do we go there? Because the church that's successful, that's victorious in the face of evil, is always an engaging church. But what else does it do? Number two, it's a purposefully quiet church. Or what I mean is this, quiet with purposefulness. Okay? Now, Bonhoeffer wrote this in Meditating on the Word. He said, To be silent does not mean to be inactive. For it means to breathe in the will of God, to listen attentively, and be ready to obey. One of the things I think we have to fight within the church is what I call a false or forced busyness. All right? To where that point to where we become that, please don't take this the wrong way. The crazy street preacher. With a megaphone. I'm all for the boldness. I love the boldness. I love the audacity to stand on the sidewalk. Armed only with the gospel. And just shout the truth. But who listens? I've done it. Nobody listened. Nobody stopped. In fact because I was doing it. They hurried more man. They ran past me. I probably told you guys this. I remember handing out water at the Boston Marathon, one of my first mission trips. Long time ago, back in the 90s. One of the ones, that were, uh, for adult ones, okay? Way back in the 90s. And I'm passing out water at the Boston Marathon. And I'm call- I mean, it had the gospel on the bottle, okay? And I'm calling out and calling out and calling out and trying to get people to stop. And nobody would stop. And then I realized that it wasn't about talking. It was about looking. The Lucas... If I could ever reach out my hand and get them to look at me, they took the bottle of water every single time, without exception, for hours that I stood there. Because once I could see, once their eyes met mine, we became human beings. And I could connect with them. I could form that momentary connection. And that's all it took. That's all it took for me to stop being a shrill voice and start to be a human being. Now I talked to a friend of mine afterwards, she said, why does it work that way? What she said was, imagine that it's really cold. Um, I can talk to Shay and Mike. They would be the best examples of this. How many months a year is it cold in, say, the Northeast? Northeast? Yeah. Four or five months? Bitterly cold, right? Three months, yep. My friend said this. She said, imagine it's bitterly cold for months out of the year, and you're outside walking in it. And you're trying to get to where you're going as fast as humanly possible. You build up. And then she said this. She said, she said, imagine also you having to ride the subway everywhere. And it's not like, you know, these new places where you see a subway and there's nobody on there with you. DC was like that. I went to DC once. And it was like that. There was nobody on the subway with me, because everybody drives in DC. But I rode the green line in Boston. And you're hanging on to that hook, like in TV like on TV, right? And somebody's in your armpit and your nose is in somebody else's armpit. And you've conditioned yourself to ignore humanity, right? Because humanity's stinky and smelly and irritating, right? And you don't want to talk, you want to talk to them because you just can't take it anymore. Mike? So you ignore everybody. Is this kind of... Experienced it? Kinda, yeah, Kinda, yeah. See, once again, we're so spread out. The interaction with a human being is a pleasant surprise for us. Imagine they are everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's somebody, and you think at least ninety percent of them are crazy. You tune them out, right? That's most of the world. That's not just here. i mean, That's not here. That's most of the world. Everywhere I've ever been that was crowded, there's a lot of crowded places. Right, Brandy? Crowded places. You go to Bangkok? Crowded? Everywhere. So many people, right? That's the way the rest of the world lives. We're trying to spread the gospel by shouting it out in a place where people condition themselves to ignore others. And they've gotten really good at it. It's a survival instinct. How do you ignore everyone else? So the point I'm making is this, is is that... that going out and just shouting it isn't the right way maybe to do it. Not that we shouldn't street preach. We're never going to stop. The Bible to some extent street preaches. But if our, only, if our only strategy is to do that, by definition we're failing with 99% of the population. We're failing with everybody, Lucas, that we can't meet eye to eye. Eye to eye. Everybody that we can't capture, Pansy. In the way that Southerners don't do that right, If I'm standing on the corner passing out water bottles, what are Southerners going to do? We're going to take it and probably talk. At least we're going to take it. you know why? Because it's free. Southerners will take anything free. As the yard sale proves, we will take anything if the price is low enough. Even if we don't need it. Even if we tell them it doesn't work, they don't care. They will load it up and take it. The world ain't all like that, but Southerners are. Southerners are. We have to find other ways of engaging the culture. That's why meditation is so important. Let me explain. The point that I make here, it's a very slight and kind of slippery one. But I believe that it's that's a necessity. The value of meditation in the church is beyond description. Once it's applied to the life of the believer, meditation becomes a connected faith and a meditative lifestyle. What I mean is this, is that through meditation, through deep, powerful meditation on the Word, through deep and powerful prayer, what we wind up doing is not being Joseph the shrill voice that just shouts the gospel, but become individual believers caught up in the power and the glory of the church. Now... Plugged in to the will and purpose of God so that Chris, I now am not out there doing it on my own, shouting as heart loud as I can. I am now interconnected, networked with God, so that I am now responding where God leads me. One of the huge problems with our evangelism and our mission mission is that it is very faithful in terms of boldness and courage, but it's not super connected. It's not. There's still a whole lot of us in our mission. Do you understand what I mean by that? Our will is still often the primary driving force in the mission. We're not listening. We're not listening to God. We're not thinking about what He says. And for that reason, we tend to go where we want to go and not where He's telling us to go. That's why we tend to go places where it's a little safer and a little easier, a little more fragrant. And not to the hard, tough, mean places that God can be sending people. That meditative lifestyle, Chris, means that we get plugged into God in such a way that we start to see things His way. And we start to see people His way. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you anything crazy here. I'm telling you that we have so much of the Bible and so much of an access to God through prayer and God the Holy Spirit indwelling each and every one of us. It defies logic that we wouldn't be more plugged in than we are. It defies logic that we would be out there guessing. Why all the fuss? Why all the sermons and all the teaching and all the prayer and all the Bible and all of this and we're guessing? We're assuming Here's the truth. We ought to know. We ought to be so certain. But now I think the certainty comes from the fact that we just simply, or the lack of certainty comes from the fact that we just simply, we're not meditating. We're not really drawing close in a way the Bible just opens the door for. Right? Now listen. I'm not talking about a lot of the closeness that a lot of us talk about. I'm not talking about this. This is okay. You know what I mean? Raise hands and all that kind of stuff and praising. That's awesome. But if the end of my faith is praising in this church, my faith has got me nowhere. This is only good if this touches this and puts these in motion to go where God wants me. If not, this is an exercise in me. This is an exercise in what I want. My comfort. My joy. It's it's the Christian religion, for lack of a better term, focus on the practicers. And not evangelistically and missionally focused on the world. Okay? Almost everybody does it wrong. Even if they don't do this, even if they're scared of doing this, we're still doing it wrong, right? So much time talking about what the church does inside its walls. And so little time talking about what the church does outside of its walls. Almost every church I know is preoccupied with itself. Preoccupied. Once again, the antidote to that, the meditative church. Let me show you some more, okay? Prayerfully. Meditative living begins logically with the inclination and the ability to hear the Word of God. Okay? Which means deep prayer, tears, crying, altar calls, all those things that we've done. You know why we're so down on altar calls in the 21st century church? It's not rhetorical. Why do you think we might be down on altar calls? i got a reason. Because nobody moves. They do not work. Because we we're we the only people on planet earth are are Southern Baptists in the Bible Belt who think you've got to sing 27 verses of Just As I Am to get somebody saved. Right? It will go on and on until somebody gets out of their seat. Somebody's moving so we can go. Or as my father-in-law said... You know, he characterized the revival in his church. and He said, the deacons get saved every revival. Because <laughs> you get the end of it, nobody's done anything. All the deacons go down. Rededicate their lives. Okay, why are we down altar calls? We're down altar calls because there's no altar call to start with. You shouldn't have to have them. You really shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to have a time where the Holy Spirit's going to move on you now. We should be so hungry for the Holy Spirit to move that people jump up in the middle of church. I like, as a friend of mine said, you know, that one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit won't move in our churches is because He's not in a bulletin. <laughs> he don't know when to go. I'm not saying that order and discipline is not a bad thing. It's not. Order is a good thing. But the reality is, this is a place for being hungry, for God to do things, for God to touch us. The reality is this, is that I, it's not that I think... We don't understand what God says or understand the Word of God. I think there are a whole lot of people in churches every single day that have deafened themselves to the Word of, to the word of God. Mike, they don't want to hear. him Because he's going to say things that Dolores, they don't want to hear. Because he's going to want them to do things they are uncomfortable with. As if God has been a respecter of our comfort. This movement is for him and not for us. So, back to the, our, our kind of our focal passage for the night. It's Christ teaches in John 8 47 whoever's of God hears the words of God. See what I said? If you're in this room tonight and you're of God, then you hear the word of God. You hear his words. When he speaks, you hear him. When he speaks through scripture, When he urges your heart, when it's preached and proclaimed before you, when it's taught in a Sunday school class, you hear it. Now, Chris, hearing it means responsibility, doesn't it? This is not. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad to get to the Word of God. Yay! God ever tell you something through His Word you did not want to hear? Boy, y'all been blessed. He's always telling me stuff I don't hear. He's always telling me stuff that I wished was not true. But it is. I'm a slave to it. He's always doing that. Hearing the Word of God is all responsibility. It's all life changing. It's all hard. You know, it's... In order to walk in the Word to dwell in the Word, to have the Word dwell in you and be responsive when Christ calls upon your life and opportunity, you must first be of God. And There's the the catch. Born again into new life with and for Jesus. If you've never heard God, if you've never heard the Word, it's because you've never been born again. And if you've been born again, you are a slave to his word. He is the master and he speaks. And you say, here I am, send me. That's the only logical response to the petition of God to the heart of man. Here I am, God, send me. Wherever you go, wherever you must. then the substantive life in Christ will be yours. If you've never believed in this way and been born again, then that substantive life is yours. And the ability and power to follow Jesus in everything by keeping His word is a sign that you are truly His. Now, I say that all the time. I think it's a problem. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to imply that believers have a rock solid without any flaws walk with christ because this one does not and you do not and and look i have confidence in your walk it's not a perfect walk is it and there have been plenty times in this room when all of us have been rebels haven't we i mean after conversion after being born again in which god told you to do something and you knew as surely as the sun's gonna come up, that God was telling you through his word, through prayer and study and meditation and preaching and worship and all those ways he urges your heart, right? That he was telling you to do something and you just didn't have it in you. As as I told a kid years and years ago, one of the first kids I ever counseled in the youth ministry was came to me, she's broken and I don't know what to do with my life and blah 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 blah. And I I don't get pearls of wisdom very often, but this is a good one. And I was like, I think most people come to me asking me what God wants them to do, and what they really want is the courage to do what they know God wants them to do. That gods are keeping secrets. The fact of the matter is, God is shouting into your life exactly where He wants it to go, exactly what He wants you to do, but you're like a kid. It's like a kid. You know what a kid does? Anybody got little kids in here? A couple people in particular have little kids. Um, and you might have seen those people shouting their child's name. Specifically one child in general. We know who, what that child's name is. That shall not be said at this moment. And the more you shout, what happens? Nothing. Nothing. He said, you out. You're right. And I've said before, what is so cool about it is you catch them and you look. And for an instant before they snap back to reality, they still got that wild look, don't they, Mike? Like an absolute insane person. Okay? And then they, oh, you, you're the one. They didn't even hear you, did they? Got no clue you're talking. I think most of us are just like that. We are moving so fast and so driven to get to where our will has told us we have to go. That God is shouting with a heavenly voice. And we have not stopped to listen. We don't know our Father's calling. That's why He has to do radically tough things, right? That's why He has to slap us. Or take things away or make us sick. Or challenge us financially. Or challenge us us relationally. Why does he have to do that? Because if he doesn't, we won't stop. We're like Jace or Grayson. And they're just rather little boys, and they're running as hard as they can. They're having all this fun, and they don't even know daddy. daddy's calling them or mama's calling them. They can't hear until you grab them, right? And you physically grab them, and you look in that face, and then they, they realize, oh, it's my dad. It's my dad. They don't get it. We're just like that still. God's calling. God's calling into your life right now at this moment. Nobody in this room is uncalled. That's a lie. Don't let Satan lie to you and tell you that. Don't let him rule you anymore. It is a lie. You are called to bigger things than you're doing right now. I'll be blunt with you. These kids who are going around the globe for the gospel, that's the the tip. That's a that's the, the tiniest little beginning of what God's going to do. And at any moment they can get hard-headed and think that, man, going summer missions is enough. Because it's not. I'm preaching the gospel. Guess what? It's not enough. God's got so much more. I've got to listen. Being meditative means that I'm so, listening to God so much that He's ruling things now. It's not me struggling to hear his word. He has taken over. His hand is on the rudder. He's guiding me. He's going to do the same thing for you. Don't make it be at 70 when it's too late. No offense to 70-year-olds. But if God takes over at 70, you know what every 70-year-old says when God takes over at 70? Why well, did not you do this at 50 or at 40? Why did I wait so long? Why did I waste my life? Last thing you want to do is look up one of these days and say, I've wasted decades of my life that God wanted, that God needed for his purposes. Something went undone. A people went untouched. David instructs us this way, at least in the desire to have this be our reality, when he writes in Psalm 25, 4-5, through 5, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Now look, I think um, maybe it was Kyle Sunday night talked about this, and I'm not sure regular people go through this all the time, but I know the three of us who communicate so closely about so many aspects of their faith, and some of the other young men that kind of walk with us, do go through this, and that we get, Mike, we get kind of lonesome for Christ. Do you understand what I mean? Is that we need to feel him like right there, like hand on our shoulders. Do you know what I mean by that? Does anybody get that feeling? Where sometimes you look up and you feel like you had not been close to him in a really long time. I think it's a generational thing. I think about 10 or 15 years ago, guys who wrote books started writing about that kind of lifestyle. And it started to turn something in on and some old guys like me and some young guys like them. And they started to realize, we're supposed to have more than just sit in a pew and write a tithe check and say a few prayers and go to Sunday school and die that we're supposed to have a deeper relationship with Him. As I pointed out earlier in, in, in my little lesson here, there was far too much guessing in our faith. Do you know what I mean? Too often we were this way. I don't know what God wants me to do. Too often we were like that. And that we wanted more. We wanted what this verse, what these two verses espouse. Waiting for God all day long. Do you understand what I mean? When's the last time you went to church in anticipation that God was going to do something supernatural in your life? When's the last time you went in which you were literally, I mean, in a lather waiting for church to happen because you knew God. Now, don't, don't, don't look at me and my preaching. Don't look at the worship team or Chad or Diane or whoever. Don't look at your Sunday school teacher. That's That's all that is is... Is, is dodging a, a very gospel-centered bullet. Look at yourself. I'm not talking about what anybody else does here. I'm talking about what you anticipate happening. When's the last time you just wanted it to end early? You don't have to say out loud. I don't want you to hurt my feelings. When's the last time you just wanted to get over early because it wasn't the most important thing you were doing that day? How many people in this room have managed to, even though he's the universe, he's the God of the universe, the cosmically worshipped God, we've managed to push him to the back corner of our lives? Not that we can't hear from him, we would never listen to him because he's back corner. He he doesn't matter in that way, the way he should. Now, be honest with you, if that's who we are, that's who we are, guys, we're not going to hear from him. We're not going to wait for him all day long because he doesn't matter in that way at all. The intimacy of hearing from God in all of the ways and methods in which He speaks to the church. Let's talk about these for just a sec. The Word of God. Preaching, study, prayer, meditation. Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. I don't shy away from that. I'm not afraid of that kind of talk, to be honest with you. I can't give you the the definition of what they'll look like. But I can say this, most churches have no chance on a Sunday morning to see God do things that only God can do in their midst. Because there's no anticipation that God will do anything. They're churches on the clock. Right? Efficiency, pansy. Follow the pattern and get it done because it's not important because everything else in our lives are important that meeting with God is something we shoehorn into a busy life into a life that's guided by every other principle but Him by every other thing but Him all these things lead to a radically reformed life which blesses us to know the ways of the Lord to be taught by Him his biblically faithful and unique paths for our lives. You're am right, This is so, so wonderful. There's nothing scary about this. This is awesome. This is beautiful. Is the idea is that God has planned out Kimberly's life, and even the pimples, and the bumps, and the sleepless nights, and the all the problems with being a mom or a wife, are part of God's unique an intimately designed plan for bringing glory to himself and the gospel to the world through that girl right there. Or your sickness. Or your brokenness right now. Or your disappointment. Or anything that is there that you don't want is still part of that uniquely designed plan. Because as R.C. Sproul said, either God is sovereign over everything or He's sovereign over nothing. He's the God of every single part of your life or He's the God of none of it. But that's what He wants. To be led along that path by the only source of verifiable truth, the Bible, and to focus our lives, hearts, times, and minds on the God of our salvation. Focused. Focused. I talk about it in the classroom all the time. My kids are terrible at it. Your kid's good at focusing? No. No, they're good at this. And mine are 10th graders and 11th graders, and seniors, and do that. Like, I tell them they're kindergartners, because they are, because they have no listening skills whatsoever. Once you start to talk, what do they do? Let an adult talk for more than 10 consecutive seconds, and they're asleep. It's generational, I'm sure, I hope. Look, to fulfill this in your life is to be overcome with a hampering, is to not be overcome with a with a hampering caution, but to be collectively tuned in to the will and purpose of Christ as he reveals it to the church bought with his blood. So instead of look being cautious, Chris, we've surrendered. And whatever he says, we're just ready for it. In the very same way God brought you to salvation, God now brings you to obedience. Where Jane, you realize you've got no choice. When maybe we've lived our lives for decades thinking we had choices in this, Stephen, we now realize we don't have any choice. That God has brought, to a, brought us, Brianna, to a point where what are we? It's His way, our, our, our death. There's no plan B for our lives. Look, the opposite is true of a caution. If we were to be quiet or silent, as Bonhoeffer describes, we will be undoubtedly more aggressive for the gospel than before. That's what's beautiful about this. Just not by trying to do something, Matt thinking we've got to be doing something because we're quiet and meditative tuning ourselves into the will and purpose of God in our lives becoming more obedient to that now we become way more aggressive because it's not me coming up with something to do it's me doing what I do best following following so whether it's the mission field or right here at home in your classroom you're not having to think God what do you want me to do we're now following we're plugged in we're networked with God the way it's supposed to be. I don't know how they even talked about this before. We haven't had the word network for long. The only way I think of describing it is that. Is that Joseph, I am now fully integrated with God's plan. And I'm not having to come up with something to do and, and summon the courage, Catherine, to do it. I'm not just following. God said, do this, I go. When believers are truly a product of sound biblical teaching, audacious belief and faithfulness, a constant and intentionally meditative life, then those believers will see opportunities for the gospel everywhere around them. That's what I want. Instead of me with a microscope, with a microscope trying to find something to do, now all of a sudden the world just looks different. I talked about this years, a couple years ago. That idea of having gospel eyes. Now God is showing me so much biblically, through this integration that I now am fo- that He is now fostering in me with His, with his ultimate plan for everything, that so now all of a sudden I see nothing but outlets for the gospel. Instead of trying to wedge the gospel in where it's hard, I've got to beat on it to get it in there, now all of a sudden there's open doors everywhere. They were always there. I just couldn't see them. But now I can see them because God's 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 showing me the plan because I'm seeking him meditatively I'm I'm purposefully going for God all the time the world be seen through the eyes of faithfulness. Instead of trying to build our courage up to share the gospel, faithful be- believers can be so led by the Holy Spirit of God that they are constantly stirred not for vanity. And that's one of those things. That's why I think there's so many, there's such a division out there between those people who are good at sharing the gospel and bad at sharing the gospel. You know why? Because there's some people out there that are so good at selling, they should get them some Amway and make a fortune. Because they're just sellers. They'll talk to anybody. They have no self-awareness. If you're not digging it, they can't even tell. Because they think you. everybody loves them. That's why there's so many of us that are awkward. We're either awkward or always giving it off. Here, There's a difference. Here's the antidote to that. There's no awkwardness in that. Why? We're so led by the Spirit that we're constantly stirred. I want to be stirred up all the time sir, why? for the goodness of missions and evangelism. Stephen, it's not about me. It's not about heads in a trophy case. There's a lot of preachers out there. It's about heads in the trophy case. It's not about that. It's really about the gospel. It's really about how stirred we are, and how and how much Mike Christ has cut us in on what He's trying to do. And it's because we deliberately sought Him through prayer and meditation, through worship. We had anticipation in worship, anticipation in preaching, that God was going to do powerful things. We weren't there dead. We were living people seeking a living God. You know what a living God does? He speaks to His people all the time.